I'd just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream here from Chelsea Community Church and City Temple. Uh, This is just one part of our service, so if you want to be part of the whole thing by a Zoom, just drop us an email at the uh, email address you see on your screen, or conversely, why don't you come and join us here at Chelsea Community Church, Edith Grove in Chelsea, Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. You'd be very welcome, and we've got good coffee and tea. So if you have your Bible with you, let's uh, go to three places. First of all, to Isaiah, the first chapter, then Romans chapter 12, and finally Mark chapter 12. And before I read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Father, that you would inspire your word into our hearts today by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me, that I can bring your word to your people boldly and faithfully to your glory and praise, Lord Jesus. For we pray all this in your name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 1, starting with verse 18. The Lord says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then to Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and in the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Well, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then finally, to Mark chapter 12. One of my favorite stories on how Jesus takes on the Sadducees. They're pretty easy picking, as you'll discover here. Starting with verse 18. And Sadducees came to Jesus, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves the wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, The woman also died of sheer exhaustion. I added that. Uh, In the resurrection, 
when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Well, Jesus said to them, is this not the reason that you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. May God bless to us the reading from his holy word. Okay, everybody now. Always look on the bright side of life. Do -do, do -do, do -do. I can't do that part. Always look on the bright side of life. Do -do, do -do, do -do, do -do. Oh no! Always look on the bright side of life. Do -do. Do, 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 do. Always look on the... Well, we better stop because we could get in trouble. It's being recorded. So I don't know if you've ever seen it, and I can't recommend it because it's got so much bad language and nudity in it. But does anybody know what that song, where that song comes from? Anybody? Monty Python. What film? The Life of Brian. Now, those of you who were born after uh, 1980, uh, would be justified in saying it comes from Spamalot, which was the excellent Monty Python spoof-a-thon uh, spoof uh, in the West End a number of years ago. I saw it a couple of times and liked it. Uh, and, uh, and it's in there, uh, it's great. But I remember when Monty Python's Life of Brian came out and man, Christians went bonkers you know because they're like oh this is attacking jesus this is doing all of this they were picketing and they were parading uh and there was all boycotts and all kinds of things that were happening uh when that when that uh film came out and there's quite a bit of objectionable stuff in the film i mean come on but uh but the christians were just so dumb because frankly the film wasn't against Jesus. In fact, if they would have taken time to discover and actually talk to any of the Pythons at the time, they intended to spoof Jesus. Many people don't know that they intended to spoof Jesus. But they all went to read the New Testament. They all read the Gospels. And when they came back together, they said, you know, we can't spoof Jesus. There's nothing to spoof about this man. He's real. He's genuine. But we can certainly take some bot shots at religion and some of Jesus' followers. And that's what it does. If you don't know about the film, Brian is born on the same day that Jesus is born. And he grows up and people start mistaking him for the Messiah. You know, he does miracles like the time that he got the guy faking, who was faking being a cripple. Uh, and begging on the streets. He said, be healed and lifted him up. So he had to stand on his feet, which were perfectly fine, but everybody thought he was a miracle worker and, and all of this. And in the end, Brian gets crucified a bunch, along with a bunch of other guys singing the song, Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, which is a little intense. I mean, come on, it, let's face it. 
But you know what happened? Gullible Christians made sure that there were a whole lot more people who watched that film than would have watched it otherwise. Same thing happened with Last Temptation of Christ. You know, throughout history, Christians have been so gullible. I mean, it's like we, we receive Jesus and our brains go out the door. You know, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. Man, that was a bestseller. And I could have given, if anybody would have given me 88 bucks, I could have told you that Jesus wasn't going to come back in 1988 at the time. And I was a young Christian back then. You know, and it happens all the time. And you know, the thing is, as human beings, and this is true of everybody, we like to think of ourselves as rational people making rational decisions. But that is simply not true. None of us are as rational as we think we are, and none of our decisions are as rational as we think they are. Actually, study after study has proven now that people think as little as possible. And this is true. People think as little as possible because thinking is work. And so what we do, we come up with a lot of shorthand ways to make decisions. You know, for, for instance, as human beings, we're more afraid of what we'll lose than what we'll gain. And that's called loss aversion. And, and you can use it anytime. I remember having a conversation, uh, and they'll probably not read this, with a group of people in the city of London about whether or not City Temple should be redeveloped and whether or not they should allow a hotel to go up next door. And I said, well, think of it this way. You have two choices. You either are going to lose about 2% of the total office space that has been rebuilt within a half a mile of City Temple because the office building next door will be torn down and made a hotel, or you will lose the unique, one-of-a-kind heritage asset that is City Temple that is the only English free church still meeting in the city of London in its own building. Guess which they chose? You don't have to because we're meeting here uh, and we didn't close City Temple because we're getting a redevelopment because people predictably don't want to lose things. Now, we have many cognitive biases like that. As human beings generally, there's well over a hundred of them that have been identified and confirmed by experimentation now. Well over, I couldn't even begin to tell you all of them. Uh, well over a hundred cognitive biases that we use to make quick decisions because we don't want to think. And most of the time, they're great. But some of the time, they cause us to make really, really, really bad decisions. And you can see that in politics. You can see that in the world right now, uh, as well as in our individual lives. We make so many decisions based on our feelings, based on our instinct, based on our quick perceptions and perspectives, which are often wrong. And as Christians, we actually get, make this worse because we're like any other human being, you know. We're all, we have the same cognitive biases. I mean, how many arguments have churches had over the color of carpeting? That's all due to a cognitive bias because if you 
thought for a moment, you would realize that actually, whether or not we have carpet, and whether that carpet is purple, pink, or blue, really doesn't make a whole lot of difference in God's kingdom. Well, and we get, we have falling outs, and we get sucked into things. But we think of ourselves not only as rational people, but as rational Christian people. And we have the truth. And we know that the truth will set us free. And we know that the truth of Jesus. And we affirm that, and we end up deceiving ourselves into thinking that we think a lot more than we do. Because we don't. And sometimes, and if you want to see it, you can see the 88 reasons, the, the uh, always look on the bright side of life, the, the last temptation of Christ. I mean, you could go one after another, after another, after another. The Mormons sadly got this right when it comes to the Book of Mormon, the musical. Remember that, I mean, the Book of Mormon is really attacking Mormonism. I haven't seen it as full of filth. But uh, the Mormons... They paid for an advertising campaign that says, you've seen the musical, now read the book. Don't read the book, by the way. Don't fall. Don't fall to that. Knowing Jesus often causes people to assume that they're right when they're not. Because we know the creator of the universe. And the creator of the universe knows us. And we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, but most of the time we don't. And we need it. And history shows us how Christians can be even less rational than non-Christians. And it's one of the reasons why many people don't want to be a part of the church. And they don't want to listen to the claims of Christ because they just assume that Christians are a bunch of irrational idiots who go by what they call blind faith, not realizing that everybody lives by faith. We can go on. That would take me down a big bunny trail. So, and this is all compounded right now in our culture by the fact that Christians are still thinking and behaving as if Christianity is still the dominant religion of the United Kingdom. And as if Christianity is still the cultural mindset, the cultural default religion of our nation. Let me tell you, that hasn't been true for well over a decade. Uh, it's, not, it's rapidly becoming not true even in the United States. And Christians there are in a much more precarious position because of this assumption right now. The dominant religion of our culture right now, of our country right now, is atheism. And we need to understand that. More than half the people identify as non-religious. And so we need to realize things have, shift, have shifted because we're now a minority religion and a minority subculture in our own culture. And so we can't behave and think as if, oh, everybody would be a Christian if they just bothered to come to church sometime. Or everybody just understands the world like we understand the world because we're Christians and everybody's basically a Christian. Uh, they just need to, to you know, get a bigger dose of it or something so that they'll, they'll bow to Jesus. You know, our, our thinking and our perceptions in this culture, and they have been for some time now, are continually influenced away from our faith in Jesus Christ. 
Right now, every single television program that you'll watch, including a lot of Christian ones, is trying to influence people away from the gospel. Many of the podcasts you listen to, if not most, will seek to influence you. Now, it's not that they set out and say, you know, we're going to make a podcast to get the Christians not believing. They don't do that because most people just don't care about us. They just don't care about Jesus. But they make a podcast that just reflects their understanding of the world and the culture, which happens to be non-Christian or even anti-Christian. And so it's all influencing us away from our Christian faith. We're in this kind of environment. We need to learn how to think better as Christians. And we must learn to think like Christians or we will be led astray and we will be made ineffective even when we assume that everything is okay. Now, I was tempted to try to give like a brief teaching on just thinking, but I just realized that would take us far afield and much too long. And so what we need to understand from today is we need to understand that there are biblical conditions that we need to meet in order to think like a Christian. And if you don't meet these biblical conditions, you are not thinking like a Christian, even if you think you're thinking like a Christian. That makes sense. So let's look at some of these biblical conditions, and I'm going to go as quickly as possible. Number one, biblical condition, we've got to get to know both the Bible, the scriptures, and the person of God in truth. We've got to get to know God and the Bible, as God's revealed by the Bible. That's why God and the Bible are there together uh, in truth. And that's what Jesus told the Sadducees. These Sadducees, they thought they knew it. They thought they were the right way. They thought they, they had trapped Jesus in a logical conundrum. It's like the old question I was asked when I was a kid, oh, you believe in God? Well, can God make a rock so big that he himself can't move it? That's a dumb question. You know, it's just designed to trip, trip up somebody. And so... Uh, so you just get caught in these kinds of things. And that's what the Sadducees were trying to do. And uh, Jesus said, hey guys, sorry, you're wrong. You're very wrong. You're really, really, really wrong. I mean, what he said was rather insulting. Uh, we don't pick it up in the English, but it's rather insulting. And uh, why are they wrong? Because you don't know the Bible and you don't know the power of God. And for when you use the power of God in this context, you're talking about the power and the person of God. Those two things aren't separate. You know, so you don't know the Bible, you don't know the power of God. A fundamental Christian commitment that we must have is that God is truth and God determines truth. And God's truth is presented to us in the scriptures, in his word. If we don't have that commitment, we won't be able to think like a Christian. We just won't pick up on it. Uh, And we've got this big confusion today between this idea of my truth. You know, and I want to break the television every time I see somebody on TV say, well, this is my truth. I just want to say bull hockey, but uh, that's uh, 
that's a polite word for stuff that bulls leave behind. And, uh, you know, I just want to get mad. I want to throw something. Uh, because it's like, no, it's not. Yeah, it's your opinion. And it might be truly your opinion. But truth is truth. No, but we don't get that so often. We confuse my truth or what I believe personally, my personal truth, with truth, truth, or objective truth. I was reading an interview this week with Tom Stoppard. Tom Stoppard is a great English playwright, about 85 years old now, has done some really great work and some really stinky work, but, uh, but uh, I've seen a number of his plays and I found them very, very powerful, very clear-headed thinker. And this is what he said. At some point in the recent past, I lost my optimism. Continuing, I think the new English men and women coming up now are falling into a world of personal truth versus truth truth that does not make a rational society, he says. Somehow I have lost my optimism about clear-eyed, level-headed, open-hearted generations following ours. That's a powerful statement, and he's not making it from a Christian perspective. I'd say sometimes, based on what I've seen on YouTube and what I've heard at various times, I would say that very same thing, that sometimes I lose my optimism about uh, clear-eyed, level-headed, open-hearted generations of Christians following. But then I see people like Jovan, who gives me a lot of courage and comfort, and Ben, and, there, and Reese, and okay, I'll, I'll stop there. I'll, uh, all you guys, you know, that are younger than me, and that are here, you give me hope. You know, you give me hope. But God is truth. And his word, Jesus is his word, and the Bible is his word, is truth. And we will always get it wrong if we don't know the scriptures and the power of God or the person of God. And frankly, there are a lot of people, even a lot of Christians, that are creating a God in their own image according to their own ideas and own thoughts that have nothing to do with the God of the Bible. And we see that all the time. And it's growing even amongst Christians who 10 years ago, I would have said, well, people from that church are very solid. But then the stuff that I start hearing is just mind-blowing to me and deeply, deeply upsetting. We need to know the whole Bible as well not just the meme Bible. The meme Bible, you know what that is? That's a verse, uh, uh, you, you got a little kitten that's holding up a big ball of yarn, you know, got the claws, and the verse underneath says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the meme Bible. That's what we tend to share with one another on WhatsApp and, and stuff like that. And that's okay. I'm not against that. Scripture is scripture. But we need to know the whole thing. We need to know the whole thing. We need to read the whole thing. We need to read chunks of the scripture. Read or, or listen to. You don't just have to read it. Listen to it. Whole passages of the Bible. And I got this challenge a couple of weeks ago when we were out in Albania. One of the speakers said this, and I'm still wrestling with this challenge myself, but he says this, spend as much time reading or listening to the scripture as you do reading or watching the news or YouTube. Holy cow. We'd be reading a lot more Bible, most of us, right? That's a, that's, and, uh, and 
By the way, watching the chosen doesn't count as reading the scripture. Just want to be clear. Watching a sermon on YouTube doesn't count as reading or listening to the scripture. To know the power of God, we must know the person of God. To know the person of God, we must know the Bible, which is God's word, as well as God's creation. You know, the Bible is not all that's revealed the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's why I love science. That's why I love history. We learn more and more. We get to learn more and more about God. Not the God of our imaginations and not the God of our cultural preferences. And that's awfully hard. One of the great problems in the United States is that so many Christians have mistaken God for the Republican Party. And God's not Republican. He's not conservative. He's not labor. He's not lived in. And he's not Scottish National Party. And you could go on. God is God. And he's above all that. So that's number one. You got to get to know the Bible and get to know God as he really is. If you're going to think like a Christian. Number two, and I'll go quicker on these. Number two, according to Paul, you have to present your whole self to God sacrificially. The idea of presenting yourself is like a soldier going on a mission saying, yes, sir, I'm going on that mission. I'm here for you. I'm, I'm going for you. It's active. It's purposeful. And you do that because God's merciful. You know, a lot of times, why don't we present ourselves? We don't present ourselves because we're afraid we're going to fail and then God's going to strike us dead. Or we don't present ourselves because we're afraid we're going to fail and the pastor's going to strike us dead. I won't, by the way, just so you know. Uh, failure is part of learning. You know, I've never seen a child learning to walk that, you know, the, the two-year-old weren't learning to walk and the child walks a little ways and then falls down and the father goes, bad child. I'm going to give you a beating because you fell on him. No, what do we do? We say, oh, that's okay. Let's get back up and keep going. And you know, that's God's attitude toward us. And you know, that's my attitude and our elders' attitude and this church's attitude toward people. And we keep going and we keep getting up because we have to present ourselves by God's mercies, His multitude of mercies, His grace as a living sacrifice. And by the way, when you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice, guess what goes along with your body? Your mind. Everything goes. So when you say, God, I'm yours, that's everything. When you step forth with your body, that involves your whole being, your whole self. And, and you do that as a living sacrifice, which means, hey, I'm yours now. You can't take back the sacrifice. Because when the sacrifice is there, you know, the bull doesn't come, become a sacrifice in the Old Testament until it's dead. Then it's a sacrifice. A Christian doesn't become a sacrifice until it's, uh, the Christian says, my life is yours. I'm dead in Christ, but I'm alive in Christ. I was crucified with Christ. And now it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the cry of the Christian. We're a living sacrifice. And that, that what's translated there as spiritual worship in the ESV is very difficult to translate. But you can also translate it as 
reasonable service or your reasonable religion. Now the idea about religion is that it's something you do and you keep doing it and you repeat it and you persevere and you go on and you go on. That's religious. And a lot of Christians say, well, I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual. Well, actually, if you're a Christian, according to Paul, you need to be a little religious as well. We just don't need to be religious in a sinful, human-oriented, pharisaical kind of way. That makes sense. So this is our reasonable, this is, makes, this is what makes sense to present your body as a living sacrifice. That's condition number two. If you don't meet that one, you're not going to think like a Christian. Condition number three is you have to resist conforming to the thinking of the age, but continually be transformed as you're, uh, in your thinking as your thinking is renewed in Christ. Let me say that again. I butchered it up. Resist conforming to the thinking of the age, but be continually transformed as your thinking is renewed in Christ. If you're walking with Jesus and you're focused on Jesus, and you get to know God, and you get to know God's Word, and you get to know God's people, and you worship the Lord, and you offer yourself to the Lord, I guarantee you that your mind will be renewed in Christ. And it will happen naturally. You don't have to go to Bible school. You don't have to go to seminary. You just have to keep walking with Jesus and not stop. But also, you have to resist conforming to the world. Because if you don't, the world will suck you in. And we're surrounded by the world. Like I said, we no longer have a Christian culture. We no longer have any aspect of our culture that wants to push us to follow Jesus. The whole culture is pushing us away from following Jesus. That means when you're watching the television and you see another relationship that you know clearly is outside of the will of God as revealed in the Bible, you say, God, I renounce that in the name of Jesus. That's what it means not to conform. And we do it. Amy can tell you. I mean, one of the great things about having somebody like Amy living with you is that she, she's seen us warts and all. And I give her permission to tell the good stories as well as the bad ones. Now, I'm not going to hide anything. There And she'll tell you, that's what Karen does all the time. You know, she, we're, we're very open about saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to agree with that. We're not going to follow that. So we got to resist it. In other words, we need to become a nonconformist, which is really good because City Temple and Chelsea, historically, were nonconformist churches. We don't want to conform to other people and other ways of doing things. Now, remember, being a nonconformist hurts. It's socially painful to be different from other people. But that's what you got to do. You need to test then everything to discern the will of God. You need to try it. You need to think about it. You need to concentrate on it. You need to research it. You got to test it to discern God's will. And you have to believe that God's will is good, is acceptable, and is perfect or complete. A lot of times, we just don't believe that God wants the best for us. And we start to think, well, maybe I can find the best for me. We start thinking that God's way is not the right way. And so we start to do it our own way. But we have to believe 
that God's will is good, is really going to be beneficial to us, is going to be acceptable to us, it, it will please us, and will be complete. And I can tell you the truth of this. I remember when I was a young, a young minister, my whole desire was to be pastoring a church of two to 3,000 people. And I had people telling me that, yeah, that's the direction you're going. But that's not the direction that God took me on. And I tell you, I'm happy. I'm okay with what God's done. It's cool. And I'm excited about what God, God's going to do. And we have to have that kind of attitude about what God's doing. And we have to not think of ourselves too highly. That's what Paul goes on to say. We often stop after verse 2, but actually the thrust of his argument goes into the following verses. Don't think of yourself too highly, but use sober judgment about yourself. You know, when we talk about thinking, that doesn't mean being clever. Sometimes I've talked to so many Christians who are clear-headed, who think clearly, but maybe didn't get the highest scores in their, in their exams. I mean, forget the exams. Just remember, what did they call a guy who graduates last in his class at medical school? Doctor. The exams, the grades don't matter. You can think. You can think God has equipped you to do that. So don't think of yourself too highly, but you don't need great grades and engage fully in the body of Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Engage fully in the body of Christ. And that's that condition. So in order to resist conforming to the thinking of the age, you have to be transformed continually in Christ Jesus by being a nonconformist, testing God's will, and so on and so forth. Finally here, our fourth, I've got one other thing I added. You've got to wrestle with God and how God thinks about things. The invitation, God says, come, let us reason together. He says, come and argue with me. You know what? God doesn't mind your arguments. And let me give you a secret here, in case you didn't know. He always wins. <laughs> but he doesn't mind your arguments. In fact, if you argue with God and you question and you wrestle and you dispute with God, say, God, I don't know that that's right. You'll learn and you'll grow and you'll learn more about how God thinks. God invites us to argue with him. He's always right, but we need to wrestle it out with him. We need to know our limitations. In fact, that sin limits our perspectives and it does even after we're Christians. Uh, but wrestling, we need to wrestle with God. And we wrestle with God not only individually, but corporately. It's okay for the church fellowship to wrestle with God. That's why we have differences of opinion. Paul tells us that we often miss this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, where Paul is talking about disagreements. And he says, well, okay, there's got to be some disagreements amongst you. Otherwise, you'll never learn the truth. It's our disagreeing with one another in love, in respect, that helps us to grow in the knowledge of the truth. And so we wrestle with God corporately, but we have to choose, according to the scripture there, to be willing and obedient. That's the only way that we'll be fruitful. And refusing and rebelling will always have negative consequences on us. 
Now, how do we know if we're reasoning with God, we're wrestling with God, that we are beginning to reason the way God reasons, to think the way God thinks? James tells us, chapter 3, verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's when we know we're thinking about God. All of this arguing that I see on so many YouTube channels and the, the animosity that I see coming out in so many people, and I'm talking about Christians, it's not God's wisdom. It's not God's wisdom. And if you want to take one verse to evaluate what everybody says and how they say it, take that verse. And just ask yourself, is that pure? It's what they're saying, is it peaceable? Is it open to reason? And so on and so forth. So those are the fundamental conditions for learning to think as a Christian. And if you don't meet those conditions, you won't think as a Christian. And you might think you're thinking as a Christian, but you're not thinking as a Christian. Now I've got a few more very quickly. I'll give you some closing practical tips. You know, my top 100 tips for, oh no, that's not. Uh, if you want the real book of practical tips for thinking like a Christian, read Proverbs. And read Proverbs again and again and again and again. So some practical tips. Ask more questions and better questions. Ask more questions before you give an answer, before you make up your mind. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. There's too many Christians who take too much pleasure in expressing their opinion. Read more widely, practical tip number two. Read more and read more widely, especially those with whom you disagree. I read almost nothing written by Christians anymore. It bores the heck out of me. It's not challenging. It doesn't get me thinking. It's just the same old tired recycled junk. And it's okay, some of it's not bad. And some of it's very helpful. And if you haven't ever read it before, it's really good, but it's really tough. I love this, Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice or to other opinions. Number three, practical tip, consider your sources of information and beware social media and YouTube. Proverbs 15, 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. And there's a lot of fools that feed on the folly of some of the stuff that's on the internet. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. And then remain curious and open-minded. That's the next tip. Remain curious and open-minded. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So keep your mind open. Be open-hearted, open-minded. Not so open-minded that your brain falls out, but willing to listen to other people. And keep humble about your conclusions. 
You could be wrong and often are. So keep humble. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Or as Abraham Lincoln once said, it is better to be silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. (laughs) Avoid arguing with people. This is keep humble, to avoid arguing with people. It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. And then last big tip, hang out with intelligent people and listen deeply. So much of what I've learned is this, and I tell you, well, I was with, I'm going to embarrass Amy, but uh, I was with Amy yesterday, and we had two friends, two missionary friends come to stop in for a visit. Now, Amy could have politely excused herself and gone up to her room and worked on essays or stuff, but she sat there the whole time, and she listened, and she was taking it in, and she was learning, and she was growing. That's the attitude. That's our attitude. Hang out with intelligent people and listen deeply. I mean, we are now in our society, we're wrestling with a lot of very complex issues. And so we need our sanctified reason. We need to be able to think like Christians. And people in our world who encounter Christians who are thinking deeply and thoughtfully, representing the Bible honestly and gently, will have their minds open to new possibilities in following Jesus. We've seen it. And not only we, but also the Apostle Paul. We often miss this. One of the keys to Paul's effectiveness was his ability to think clearly as a Christian and reason well. Acts 19.8 says, And Paul entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. We are in a season where we need to step into, not the synagogues, but the businesses, the workplaces, the shops, the communities, the universities. We need to step in and reason boldly as a thinking Christian who represents the Spirit of Jesus, who knows the Bible and knows who God is. And those Christians, the world will listen to. And that Jesus, people will follow. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that it would just sink into our hearts and our minds and that you'd help us, inspire us, encourage us, Lord, as we live for Jesus. We love you and we praise you. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.